Welcome to the King's Chapel Podcast. You are about to hear another inspirational message from our lead pastor, Matt Schmidley. It's our prayer that this message will be a blessing and encouragement to your life. Well, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 10, as we've been working through the book of Matthew, verse by verse together. Matthew chapter 10, if you've been around, is a... Uh, a sermon, a discourse that Jesus is giving to his disciples right after he said the words to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest, and then he instructs them before sending them. And today we're going to finish that, uh, that sermon today. When I was a youth pastor um, at a church in Kansas City, one of my main jobs on Sundays, a lot of times I would do the announcements. And... Uh, so one Sunday, I'm getting up, and we had an event, a service coming up in you know, about a few weeks out, where we were having someone from uh, the Full Life Study Bible, the Pentecostal Fire Bible, uh, come. And they were raising money um, for Bibles in China. And the person who was going to be coming, when we had this in the bulletin, their challenge to us, they wanted us to be ready. Their challenge to us was going to be this. For every Bible that you own, buy a Bible for a pastor in China. And so I get up every Sunday and I'm, you know, for like two or three weeks and I'm telling them this every Sunday and, you know, and we're going to challenge you for, uh, for every Bible that you own, buy a Bible for a pastor in China. And so the week came that this, this missionary was going to come and I went into my office and I started counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, Seven. This is before electronic Bibles, by the way. If you, want, if you wanted all these versions, you had to own them. I think it was 12. I think I had 12 Bibles on my shelf. And I started counting up how much uh, each Bible cost. And I started to think about how much I made as a youth pastor. Um, and I quickly realized that if I was going to do what I had been telling people for three weeks that we were going to do, it was going to hurt financially. Um, it was going to be, be painful. Um, but, you know, we, we did it and we survived and, you know, we didn't have to go to the soup kitchen or anything. Everything was, was okay. There are times, though, over the years since then that I wonder, I wonder what happened to those Bibles that I bought. I mean, we, you know, we, we can't keep track of all the accounting. The money gets dumped in a fund. The fund happens. But I believe that God keeps good accounting. I believe that God can, can do that. And from time to time, God would bring them to my mind, and I would pray for these pastors in China who have the Bible that, by God's grace, I was, you know, Felicia and I were able to provide for them. And it's just it's one of those things that just from time to time I wonder, how are they doing? How are their churches doing? What's been the fruit of, of that investment? As Jesus was teaching his disciples about the harvests, if you've been around the last two weeks, um, we spent the last two weeks talking about the opposition that those who work in the harvest field would face, that they would be, they would be mistreated, they would be flogged, they would be dragged before rulers, they would be rejected by their own family. Last week we saw that our... Our response to that, those of us that, not just the disciples, but those of us who work in the harvest, um, what should we do? Our response is that we don't fear them. This was last week. Now this week we finally get to the flip side, the good news of this. 
that not everyone will reject the work of the harvester. In fact, some people will not only accept the work that the harvester does, but will become partners in the harvest ministry. Will come alongside the disciples as they go out and do their work and become partners and investors in the kingdom of God. And so Matthew chapter 10, picking up at verse number 40. We're going to read 40 to the end of the the chapter and then we'll go back through and walk it through verse by verse. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet Because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cold cup of water, because he is my disciple, truly I say, he will by no means lose his reward. So Jesus begins by by giving us this principle that that those who share in the ministry share with also the one for whom the ministry came. So for example, Jesus said, those who receive you, my disciples, working in the harvest, they're not just receiving disciples. Jesus says, when they receive you, Simon and Peter and John and Thaddeus and Bartholomew, when they receive you, they are receiving disciples. Me. And then Jesus says it doesn't stop there. When they receive me, they receive the one who sent me. You see, the one who partners in the harvest, the one who comes alongside, as Jesus talks about, the prophet, the righteous person, and the little one, is not just serving that person, they're serving Jesus. And the one who is serving Jesus is serving the Father. And so the words that Jesus gives are pretty straightforward here. That the one who receives the prophet, in their mind they're probably thinking in terms of bringing them into their home, providing them hospitality, providing them food, providing them shelter. Whoever would call them in. You you think of of Elijah with the widow. And and they were brought in. They took care of Elijah. And things, incredible things happened to the, you know, when, when this happened. Um, you know, the widow fed Elijah out of the last of her oil and her flour. And out of that, God provided a miracle that the oil and the flour did not run out. The one who partners with the prophet, who provides for the prophet, Jesus says, receives the reward of the prophet. And there are times in our lives when we, we look at people who, who come in here and they travel uh, around the world and they go and they share the gospel with people all over the world, telling them about Jesus. And there's part of us where our heart says, I wish I could go. I wish I could be there. I wish I could tell them. But God has called us here. And people like missionaries and pastors like myself stand up here and say things like, whenever you give to this missionary... You have a part in what they're doing around the world. Let me remind you of this. That is not just good fundraising. That's not just something that we say in order to get people to give. Let's let's make this sound as good as we can. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. When you partner with a missionary... 
and you give, you share in their work. When you partner with a church and you give here, the work that's going on and the kids' ministry and the Sunday school and the things and the outreaches that go on and the ministry that happens, you and I share in that. Actually, literally share in it. So Jesus says this, when they receive you, they receive me. When they receive me, they receive my Father. So receive the prophet and you'll receive the prophet's reward. Receive the righteous person and you'll receive the righteous person's reward. And even to the point of this, even a cold cup of water given because of me. Even a cold cup of water given because you're my disciple. That will be rewarded. Rewarded. Now, when it comes to reward, it kind of is a a, a tricky thing, isn't it? Because we read words like this that Jesus says that if you'll do this, if you'll give a cold cup of water in my name, you'll be rewarded. If you will, you will share with the prophet, you'll be rewarded. If you'll share with the righteous person, we'll get rewarded. And there's a lot of times there's something in our flesh that like backs up a little bit and says, well, yeah, but you can't do it for the reward. It's like, you know, we don't, we don't want to hear that. We want to say, la, 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 don't tell me that there's a reward. Don't tell me that there's a reward because if I do it for the reward then I'll have already received my reward and I won't get my reward later on. We've got to... So the question is this. If we're not supposed to do it for the reward, or at the very least, if the reward is not supposed to be a motivation for our giving and our acts of service, then why did Jesus tell us that there would be a reward? I mean, wouldn't it have just been better off to leave us in the dark about that? And we could go about doing our, our, living our Christian life and doing good deeds. And later on when we get to heaven, all of a sudden we get this reward and it's like, oh, I had no idea. And Jesus would have spared us this uh, motivational conundrum that we're in of knowing that there are rewards, but trying not to do them for the rewards. I think the distinction is this. I don't think that we do the things that we do for God in order to get a reward. But I do think that the reality that there is a reward becomes a motivation for us. And not just a motivation, an encouragement. There are many times that doing the right thing is hard. That doing the right thing is costly. Maybe financially, maybe relationally, Maybe just in, in the amount of time that is required to put, it, put forth. And so the promise that Jesus has of a reward is not so much that, okay, I give a cold cup of water to this person so I can get something. But when we give it, we say, I know it's worth it. I know it's worth it because Jesus promised rewards. Now, for those of us who have grown up in church for a while... Some of this should, you should be going, yeah, but at this point. Yeah, but aren't we saved by grace? Aren't we saved not by what we do? We're saved by faith in the Lord Jesus, an expression of his grace, and we're saved, not out of ourselves. It's by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, 
so no one can boast. But the truth of the matter, as we go through Scripture, and we're going to do this, we're going to walk through several places where Scripture talks about rewards. And here's what we're going to see. We are saved by grace. We are saved by faith, by not what we do. We are rewarded based on what we do. That there will be, one day, an eternal reward that will be based on what we do, on how we live, on how we give, how we share, how we serve. Every time we see this term reward in Scripture, it's going to be based on things that we do. So follow with me. Turn back. Just We'll start, we'll start in Matthew. That's, that's good hermeneutics. If you don't know that, we're going to start in, in the corpus, the book that this was already in. So let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. This is at the end of the Beatitudes. And Jesus had just told them that you're blessed when you're persecuted. And then he says this, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus, Jesus is telling them this, that when they endure persecution, because they are disciples, that God will reward them. He will, the word literally, literally means to pay back. He will give back to you for what you have done for him. Now look over in uh, verse number 46. Verse 46 is the passage on loving your enemies, which is not easy to do, right? Loving your enemies. In verse 46, it says this. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And now look at chapter 6, verse number 1. Sermon on the Mount continues. And this is the section, if you remember, that Jesus deals with three different acts of, of piety or, or religious acts. Prayer, um, fasting, and giving alms to the poor. And he repeats this one phrase in, in each of these about rewards. But let's just read that one through four. Beware of practicing, again, this is a doing thing, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their rewards. The trumpet blasts and the pats on the back were their rewards. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then here's the line that's repeated for all three of these. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And Jesus makes the same point for praying, for giving, and for fasting. That if we do these acts of righteousness, and again, this is something that we do. If we do these acts of, of piety and religious discipline, if we do them out in public view in order to be seen, our payback, our reward is the attaboy that you get, or the esteem that you get. And Jesus says, it doesn't say don't do them. Do them. 
But when you do it in secret, you'll be rewarded. And your reward will not be by men. It will be by my Father. Now turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, picking up at verse number 26. Jesus is talking here about the cost of following him. And he mentions what will happen at the end of the age. Verse 26, 27. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay or reward, same word, each person according to what he has Done. So Jesus is looking forward to the end of the age. When I come and I bring my angels with me, and this is, the, this is a, a verb form of this reward, that he will repay, reward each person according to what they have done. We are saved by grace. But the scripture teaches us clearly that there will be a reward for how we live. In, the, in Matthew 10, where we are today, for those who receive a righteous person or a prophet or give a cold cup of water in my name, they will receive their reward. So the question is this. So then what happens to the person who gets saved, believes in Jesus, and squanders their life? What happens to that person? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you remember in 1 Corinthians, in the church of Corinth, there, was this, there were these divisions going on about, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Christ. And there was there's these divisions on these different ministers and the work that they did. And as Paul is explaining why there needs to be unity. He's, he's talking about the work, the harvest work, to put it in Matthew 10 terms, but the work that men like this are going to do and what's going to happen when they spend their lives on the cause of Christ. And I think when you read it, and this, script, this passage is debated and it's not exactly clear, but I think what's going on here is, is one of the things Paul's doing is he's going to explain what happens to one of these men one of these ministers whose life's work ends up being for naught. So 1 Corinthians 3, picking up at verse number 8. He who plants and he who waters are, are one, and each will receive his wages, or you could put in his, his payment, his repayment. It's the same, same word in the Greek that we've been looking at. His wage according to his labor. For we, Paul's talking about him and the other other apostles, other ministers. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. And according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Talking about building the church here. I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. So Paul had come into Corinth, established the church, and now there are other people who are doing work there. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is 
Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, and then the switches, or wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 16, that when the Son of Man comes and his angels with him. This is what Paul's referring to as the day. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So if, if the fire is going to test your work, do you wish you would have built with gold, silver, and precious stones? Or wood, hay, and straw? If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. So Paul is evaluating, or at least laying forth a framework of evaluating the work of other people who were involved in building the church. And he says some people build with things like gold and silver and precious stones, and when the day comes and the fire comes, and it'll be strong and it'll hold, and other people... They're putting on good appearances, but what they're building is wood, hay, and straw. And the day will come, the day, capital D, the day will come when the fire will test it. And it'll all be burned up, and he himself will be saved. But only as one, in our idiom it would be, but just by the skin of his teeth. Just, just made it in with nothing else to spare. We are saved by grace. But Jesus promises this, for the life that we live, for the things that we do for him and for his kingdom, there will be a reward. In fact, if you look up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10, Paul tells the church of Corinth this, For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive for the things that we have done in the body whether good or bad. The, w- the way we understand it is you read in Revelation of a great white throne judgment where, where people are, are standing before God and the righteous and from the unrighteous, the sheep from the goats are, are split. But it seems that there is a second judgment as well that Paul refers to here as the judgment seat of Christ when we will receive rewards, not for our faith, but for our works. For what we have done. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We'll come to that in just a moment. We talk about these kind of things. How does it look in real life? How does this work out in our world? Well, let me give you a negative example. Let me give you a positive example. The negative example is this. This week I was listening to a, uh, a podcast, like a, a radio show that's distributed through the Internet. And I promise you, before I tell you this story, I promise you it was an economics and money podcast that I listened to, okay? And they did an episode on women's handbags, all right? 
specifically one called a Birkin bag. Anybody ever heard of a Birkin bag? Birkin bags, um, they, the average Birkin bag sells, according to this podcast, for $60,000. $60,000. The starter Birkin bags, yeah, there it is. $64,000 if you want to go on to uh, go online and find it. They start at about ten dollars to $20,000. And so they're going through this, this, uh, this podcast. What's really interesting about the Birkin bag is not just its price, which is like some of you, that's more than your first home. Um, what's really more interesting is that the way that they get these kind of prices, um, they, it's, it's, it's a total status thing. These things are expensive because they're expensive. They are status because they're status. They, they, they only make a few of them. They have this big, long story about, you know, handcrafted artisans and all this stuff. And, but, but here's what they were talking about in the podcast is that if you go into a store that sells them and you walk in and you say, hey, I got 64 grand I want to drop on a Birkin bag, they're probably going to tell you, even if they have them in the back, they're going to say, we don't have any. They are notoriously difficult to find. And in order, I mean, just, just to get someone to sell them to you is like the biggest chore in the world. And so there's like all this, you know, how do I, how do I buy a Birkin bag? And they're just, you know, going through all these, these hoops and things. And, and this lady in the, in the podcast goes, goes yeah, for, you know, there's this moment where it occurs to you, you know, how ridiculous all this can look. And I said, yes, like audibly out loud in my car as I'm driving. Yes, it's ridiculous. Um, and in fact, the lady that they were interviewing says, yeah. And when I got my Birkin bag, I was, I was struck at how plain it was, at how ordinary it seemed. And I, I kept looking at it, trying to find what was so special about it. Other than just the fact that it was a Birkin bag. At the end of the podcast, she said, she told this story at the beginning about how she just moved to New York City. And she was walking down the street and this lady with this, this come to find out a Birkin bag. She didn't realize it at the time. This lady was walking and, and as they were walking toward each other, the lady kind of in kind of an aggressive way kept moving toward this lady until she ended up like up against the wall trying not to get run over by this lady with the Birkin bag. And, she, and this lady in the podcast now says, now that I have a Birkin bag, nobody pushes me around on the streets of New York. And I'm like, what kind of world do we live in? And, uh, and they asked her, do you ever, you know, do you ever think that this is crazy? And she's like, yeah, all the time. But I just... She just convinced herself that this is it. And when she walks down the streets of New York and people get out of her way because she has a Birkin bag, she's received her reward. It's as far as it goes. The Birkin bag has accomplished its goal. She has received her reward by walking around with the status and the envy of other people 
just to put a bow on this, I know some people, if you, if you don't tell the whole story, they get crazy. So how did she actually get the Birkin bag? Apparently, the way that you get it, um, and they don't advertise this, but the, how she got hers, her husband went into this you know, really expensive store and bought like you know, $10,000 worth of scarves or whatever for his wife. And uh, after he'd spent all this money, he said, oh, well, by the way, do you happen to have a Birkin bag? And they're like, oh, yeah, let me get you one. And so they sold him a $20,000 Birkin bag. And then he was like, oh, well, that was easy. Let me go try this at another store. And he did the same thing, bought several thousand dollars in scarves, said, hey, do you have a Birkin bag? They're like, yeah, we do. And so he, I don't know. Anyway, I don't get it. But this is the opposite of what Jesus is talking about. It's gone. Not only is the money gone, the reward is gone. A couple of months ago, a group from King's Chapel got on a plane and went to Nicaragua. And we're able to go because many of you had given, had donated supplies to the rummage sale, had worked at the rummage sale in order to make the sales and the money to come in. I mean, it's an, it's an entire church effort. Not everybody gets to go, but almost everyone here is involved. And as I read this account of what, it was, what happens to give a cold cup of water in the name of Jesus, my mind went back to... A, an experience on this trip where a week before we went there, they had some massive flooding and dozens of people in these villages had had died um, in the flood. We went to this one village um, where most of the houses were destroyed and the people were just rebuilding. And so we, we did a, a little program and we told them about Jesus. And at the end, and I think we've got a picture here, um, we're just in this little tiny village and we're giving them out a little sucker or two crayons. I mean, we're, we're literally going down the line handing a, a child two crayons. That came, most of them came out of our, our surplus in our kids' church here. We just said, well, let's just take them and then let's, let's give them away. There, there were supplies that you bought. We took them with us. You bought them. And we were giving them out in the name of Jesus. We gave them out. We gave them each a Bible. And as the week of the trip went on, you think about the things that that happened. We ministered in schools. We did the pastor's conference and pastor seminar. And one of the things that we found out shortly before we left, like the like the week, the week up after this this flooding, the hurricane had come through. The the flooding had happened. We were taking all these books with us, and we get word that there were several pastors who lost their Bible in the in the flood. And the thing that they wanted more than anything else was a new study Bible. The other thing that had happened was there were, as the weeks and the months went by, or not weeks and months, as the, as the days went by, there, uh, Kendra Doubt put out a call for, for food and for supplies that they needed for these hurting people. And you, you didn't realize this, but you, through your giving, we sent $500 to them to buy food and supplies and Bibles for the people there. There are pastors 
in Nicaragua this morning. You, you don't realize this. But maybe they might be preaching out of the Bible that you bought for them. Pastoring their church out of the Bible that you bought for them. That we bought for them. That we took. I don't know what the reward is going to look like. But Jesus told us this. That whoever receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Anyone who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And anyone who even gives a cold cup of water or a couple of crayons in my name will buy. And, and, and if you notice the, the emphasis he puts on it here. Chapter 10. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. The smallest act of kindness or compassion that you have done in the name of Jesus will be rewarded. Every Bible story that you've taught to our kids in the kids area will be rewarded. Every act of compassion and service that you've done for someone who is elderly among us and, and doing you know, yard work or things that they need or fixing something will be rewarded. The day will come when it will all be not just worth it, but worth it beyond our imagination. That Jesus will repay. Because what we did when we gave that cold cup of water, we were giving it to him. When we gave those crayons, we were giving it as if it was to Jesus. When we gave those Bibles to the pastors, it was as if we were giving it to Jesus. And there will be a reward. And I know some of you are, your mind, you don't want to go down this road too much. But I want you to think about the things that you've done in the name of Jesus. Money that you've given service that you provided, work that you've done. And just for a moment, I want you to think about that day when Jesus will come and we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he will say, here is your reward. You, I'm paying you back for what you have done. Well done, good and faithful servant. The day will come when it will absolutely be worth it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for thank you for not leaving the rewards out of your revelation. Thank you for not leaving it out of Scripture. Because if it were up to me, I may I might have left it out. But Lord, you put it in here. That when we give, when we serve, we will be rewarded. And I pray today that your people will be encouraged, even this Christmas season, to give more, to serve more, 
to show more love, to show more compassion. Because the day will come when the rewards are given. And we don't want to think to ourselves, I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have given more. I wish I would have served more. Thank you for giving us this as an encouragement and a hope. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I I want to ask you this question. We made it very clear at the beginning that we are... We are saved by grace, not by what we do. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He graciously forgives us of our sins. Changes us from the inside out. And makes us his own. Brings us into his family. Apart from works. And so maybe you're here this morning and you would say, that's what I need today. I need Jesus. I've never given my life to him. I've never asked for forgiveness. I've never repented. I I don't walk with him. I'm not part of his family. And today, for you, is the day of turning to Jesus, is the day of salvation, is the day of stepping into the family of God. So if that's you, while no one's looking around, maybe maybe you've never done that, or maybe it was years ago when you're not living for Christ now, you'd say, that's me today. I need Jesus. I need to give my life to him. I need to surrender my life. I need his forgiveness. I want to live for him from this day forward. We'll give you just a moment. Let's all stand together. And here's how I want us to pray together. I'm going to lead us in prayer. I want you to pray where you are. Let's thank God that he is generous enough that he's promised us a reward. He didn't have to do that. He's generous. Let's pray for those that we can think of that come to mind, that God has enabled us to give to, or to invest in. Maybe you, maybe you support some missionaries or some projects around the community or, or, or the food bank or whatever. Pray for them. And let's pray that God would make us, each of us individually and corporately, even more generous, especially this holiday season. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving to us this promise of reward. And each of us now, we say thank you. Thank you. We don't deserve any of it. Even for the things that we've already done, the things that we've already given, we don't We don't deserve a reward. But Lord, you said you would give us one. And we say thank you. And we pray for these pastors in Nicaragua who are preaching today out of Bibles that were given by this congregation. We pray for the families who have been eating from the the provisions and the food that came from the the contributions of this congregation. We pray for for these pastors with the books that have been brought and as they study, that, Lord, you would grow, make their churches healthy and flourishing as they are working in their harvest field. God, would you bring more, more souls saved, more lives changed. For the missionaries that we support, 
as a church, month in, month out, Lord, that today are doing work, would you bless them? Would you enable them to work diligently? And would you cause them to bear much fruit? And thank you that we have the privilege in sharing in their harvest. And so, Father, help us, each of us now say, make us more generous. Help us to give more and serve more, knowing that it is never, ever, ever in vain. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. God bless you. Go in His grace and His peace. We'll see you next Sunday.